Hi, I'm Brenda. And I'm Elaine. We're sisters. Welcome to the Body Wealth Podcast, a space for conversations about the wealth that really matters, your best health. Over time, everyday physical activities can cause our joints to deteriorate, which can lead to debilitating pain. These days, there are more options to deal with this pain, but sometimes surgery is still recommended. Today, we talked to Mrs. Martha Taylor, an 80-something-year-old grandmother and retired educator. She has had multiple knee surgeries, but still has to use other treatments to minimize her pain so she can maintain her active lifestyle. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to talk to you today. But before we get started, just tell us how you're doing today. I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. That's what happens with old folks. One day you're feeling pretty good. The next day you're doing sort of poorly, as old folks used to say, but you keep going. Yeah, well, that's wonderful to hear. We treasure you as one of our village mothers, and we know you and you know us, but could you tell our guest a little bit about yourself? Yes. First of all, let me say good afternoon. My name is Martha. I'm an 85-year-old senior citizen. Very happy that I am still here to talk with you. I live in the state of Maryland. I'm a former educator and one that keeps trying to go on and do what it is that keeps you going. That's good. We're glad that you're doing that. You're looking great too. So today we're going to be talking about your knee replacement surgery. So I know at some point you started to have trouble with your knee. So what was happening and then what made you decide to get some treatment for it? Well, I think this happened probably back in 2014, I was having a lot of pain in that knee. Wasn't sure of what it was. I formerly was a physical education teacher. I knew that I had had some injuries with some of the equipment. So I personally felt like it was coming from that. At any rate, we do what we think is going to help it before we decide that, oh, this is not going to work. So I need to go to the doctor. When I went in, Of course, I got an x-ray. And I guess like anything else, as you get older, things begin to wear apart. And so that was what they were saying, that the knee cartilage was wearing away, Mm. which was normal as far as age is concerned. And what they did at that time was treat it with medication. And the medication, I took it for a good little while, but it helped for a while, and then it just wasn't doing what I thought it should do. In other words, it wasn't eliminating completely the pain, but it helped for a while. I think after that, then we had an MRI, and it was the doctor's suggestion that I probably need to have a knee replacement because a lot of that cottage had gone. So after that, I had the surgery and was hopeful. I had therapy and all that went along with that, hoping that it was going to be a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. I think I probably went through that for another six months where it still wasn't getting any better. 
from the standpoint of I still was having pain. Excuse me, the same amount of pain as before the surgery? It was off and on. Sometimes mm -hmm. it just depended. Uh, if I was taking the medicine and I got to the place where to avoid feeling that pain, I continued with the medicine. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was probably the worst thing that I could do because after that, I got sick mm -hmm. as a result of taking all of this medicine. It started interfering with other parts of my body. So was, did the doctor recommend you to take the medicine after the surgery or you just said, I, I need more pain relief, so I'm going to go back? Actually, the, it was the doctor's recommendation because after I had the surgery, I had therapy and I was still having pain and they felt like I shouldn't have been having pain. So the medication was prescribed. Mm -hmm. Did you, was the pain such that you were limited in your activity? Things that I wanted to do, I think I was able to hop around the house to do little things here that mm -hmm. I normally would do. But other activities that I normally participated in and that kind of thing, it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. I have to say that when I first went for the surgery, it was not with the medical people that I normally was with. Of course, once I was in the hospital, they called my doctor. And after they got me straightened out, it was her suggestion that I move to another doctor that was in the association. I belong to the John Hopkins Community Association. So how did you get connected with that first, was it an orthopedic surgeon who did the knee surgery? I had a friend actually, who. Referred you to this surgeon? Yes. And I guess because that person was working there, I sort of felt comfortable with it. Oh, okay. And then after I went through all of these other changes, I was referred to another doctor, discovered that they had put in a condemned part. And that was what was causing all of this pain. And to make a long story short, it had to come out Oh. And they had, then it had to be replaced with another one. <laughs> but the yeah. problem had been already identified before he put it into your knee. Yes, yes. Wow. And so, of course, after that, <laughs> that part had to be removed and I had to go through this surgery all over again. Actually, when I found out it was a condemned part, I wanted it out of me. Yeah. So. I had it removed, went through the same thing, another set of surgery. This time I went to a rehab for about a week. And then after that, someone came into the home and continued it for probably another week or so. And believe it or not, I have not had any problems with that knee since. That was my right knee. <laughs> oh, that's Great. So once you got the bad defective part out and a new functioning part in, you could stop taking the pain medicine? Actually, we stopped before that because after it had made me sick, mm -hmm. they cut all of that out. So you just dealt with the pain until you had the surgery. Right. And let me say this, that I used it, you know, shortly after the surgery, but that was to get rid of the pain from the surgery. 
Right. But as of now, you can't pay me to take that medication anymore. <laughs> Good. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you don't need it. But thank God. <laughs> yeah. Thank See, God. Did you did you ever go back to that first surgeon and say, "How come you put a defective part in my knee?" No, but he found out because once the new doctor found out what it was, they had to turn it in. They had to report it. Mm. And as a result of me having to do it the second time, then of course, insurances were not going to pay for that same knee Ooh. a second time. So then it that had to go too. So to answer your question, he knew what had so happened. The insurance company ended up suing him or right. Well, thank goodness you had insurance, you know, because thank goodness that I did. And believe it or not, as a result of that, them turning it in. I got something from okay. the insurance as a result of that. And should, because right. you had all those years of pain and suffering. What was the amount of time from when you had the first knee replacement surgery till you had the second one? I would say six months or better. So you had six months of unnecessary pain. In fact, my new doctor said to me, oh, you're going to get some money out of this. <laughs> You earned it. Believe me, you earned it. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. But I did not do not one thing except when they sent me an email, answer questions. Okay. Well, I'm glad it worked out. What was the process from second surgery to fully well? I had home therapy. They would come to home therapy. And then after that, I guess off and on, I have been doing some kind of therapy since then, just to keep myself going. Yeah. Did you have someone to come cook for you or bring you food while you were infirmed at home, <laughs> recovering? No, not really. Uh, we did that at home. Uh, my husband was there, so he did the best he could. So he wasn't the good cook, it sounds like you said. <laughs> I said, unfortunately, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'm not going to say nothing more. No. <laughs> that he was there. He was there. That's a big thing. Right. That's definitely true. Mm. <laughs> and so now how are you doing? Are you playing golf? What are you able to do now? Well, you know what? Unfortunately, that was on my right knee. The left knee is what's acting up now. Oh. And I'm doing everything I can to avoid another surgery. So to answer your question on playing golf, no. And that is the worst thing. Mm. Because in addition to that, I also have a rotator cup problem. So, so you're, you're still dealing with pain, though. In some, yeah. But it's yeah. not as, to be very honest with you, it is not as bad as it was before. And I think therapy has had a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. And I do find myself keeping up with some kind of exercise to keep myself going. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Walking, riding the stationary bike, doing water exercise. So all of those things, I think, help to keep me going. So you're trying to use exercise to keep that second knee from having to get a surgery? That's what I'm trying to do. And so far it has worked. I have not been back to the surgeon, I say that the therapy is doing a lot to help. 
Okay. It is something that you can't be sitting a lot on. It's something that you actually have to keep moving. How long this is going to last, I don't know, but so far, so good. So the movement's helping you, and you said water therapy. What is that? Exercise in the water. In the water, okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That, that's cool. The water tends to, if you have pain, sort of take that pain away. Every now and then, I take Tylenol. Oh, okay. Every now and then, that's the only thing I can take is Tylenol. Mm -hmm. And I try my best to not use it. But there are days that I have to use it. Yeah. There are days that I know I'm going to go out shopping or do something like that. I will use it because by the time I get back in here, it's out of whack. Now, do you feel, does the weather impact your joint? Most definitely. And I think that is so funny because I used to hear my grandparents say that many years ago. And I used to think these folks are just about as crazy as they can be. Because <laughs> my grandmother always said, oh, it's going to rain tomorrow. And I said, the sun is shining. It's looking all pretty out there. I said, why would you say that? I'm aching all over it. That rain is going to come. <laughs> and believe it or not, that rain did come. Be right. <laughs> so so yeah, now, can you predict the rain? <laughs> Look here, I don't know whether I can predict the rain or not, but if the weather is bad out there, there is a different feeling. So, was it your knee or your replaced knee that you had a gel injection in? My knee, not the replaced one. Okay. And why did you have, why did you have a gel injection? And Because what? I was going through the same kind of thing with the bones rubbing on bones. Oof. And that was something new that they had for the knee. And I decided to try it. And believe it or not, it worked for a while. Actually, I've had two of them. How did you find out about that? Again, I had a very good friend who had used it and I asked about it. And uh, as a result of asking about it, I was recommended for it. Now there are two, three different kinds. The first one worked for a while and it didn't hold like I was hoping that it would hold. And so then I was recommended for another one, a much stronger dose. That's something that you have to get approval from Medicare in order to have it done. And I think it comes as a result of the doctor. It's unreal, but to hear your bones just hitting against each other and feeling that, and you definitely hear it and feel it. It is. It's a horrible thing because there's no no coverage. There's nothing in there. That injection puts something in there to keep the bones from rubbing together. And so, so far, so good. That has been helping a lot. So it does reduce the pain. Oh, definitely. It definitely and reduces the rubbing against it. So because whatever they that gel is, it takes the place of the cottage that you have lost. Okay. okay. So did the surgeon do the injection? No, they send you to someone else. Okay. Uh, in fact, I think with both of them, they were what they call sports medicine physicians. So I guess they do a lot of that with people who are, you know, in professional sports. 
And it's something that you have to do once you start it for once a week for four or five weeks. And then how long is it supposed to last? I think it depends on the individual, probably a good six or seven months. And then I did not immediately go back. You sort of wait until it starts really giving you problems. And I think I did this through my doctor first. And then I found out here at Leisure World, really across the street, there was another doctor who did the same thing. And so I said, well, why do I need to go all the way to Bethesda when I can go right across the street? So I had one done there. And And how uh, did you find out about the doctor across the street that did the same procedure? A cousin of mine who had had it done before. (laughs) That's pretty common, actually. I depend on relatives. (laughs) You know, when you are in a lot of pain and things like that, you don't, I guess you don't think about questions like that. You're just uh, like, get but when you find out thing. about it, you asked about it, and they said, Oh, yeah, well, we can refer you. And sometimes I think it's a money making thing because, see, when they refer you to another doctor, somebody else is getting the uh, money. When you keep running to them every time you go, they're getting paid. True. So sometimes I think it's you have to have some idea of other things that's going on out here. And that's why it's good to talk to your friends and family because your cousin told you about the person across the street, your other friend told you about the gel injection. So just the idea that you were sharing what was going on with you, you got some helpful information. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Do they always jump to surgery first when it seems like maybe doing the gel kind of thing would have been a good option before? It seems to be too. I agree with you, but now after the pain medicine was not holding as it should, I will be very honest with you. That's where they went. They went through the surgery. Well, I'm glad that you're uh, at least having less pain than you did before, and you're still able to do some things. Mm -hmm. Is there any recovery time needed after you get the gel injections? No, you tend to be able to move right on with that. It may not take the pain away in the first one or two. I think the first doctor that I went to, the first thing he did was say that there was a lot of fluid that had built up around the knee. No one had ever told me that. Mm -hmm. And so that fluid had to be drained before he could even start that. So I think the first time that I was with him, I did not get the gel injection because he said he had to get that fluid out of there. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, but it seems like they all do different things. And like you say, you have to be, I guess, a person who asks a lot of questions before you agree to have something done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think my biggest problem was I was not ready to sit in a chair the rest of my life. So I had to get something done. Mm-hmm. Keep moving. I'm glad mm-hmm. that you got that. Right. So what in this whole experience do you think either from friends or people in the medical system or family members, what was most helpful in you navigating this experience? Probably asking more questions, you mm-hmm. know, not accepting. And I think sometimes, and it could be the way that we are brought up, But sometimes we accept 
what people who are supposedly trained in these areas say. Mm-hmm, the authority uh, expert. Right. right. <laughs> I think it's almost like a lot of people who refuse to take the injections for this COVID. And I used to be very disgusted with them. Where did you get your medical degree from? <laughs> you know, <laughs> take this stuff so I don't run out here and run into it. But I think right. that it's that same kind of thing. Not not saying that I knew what they were saying, but you sort of accept. I guess that's what it is, what they say to you, because you know that's what they are supposedly trained in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like, and COVID brought this to light a lot too, that there is a lack of trust in our whole medical system mm-hmm. and medical professionals. And whether that's valid or not, I'm not sure, but for sure, we need to just try to find out stuff on our own to to go in there with so that we can at least have a, a conversation with them and not just take in what they give us. Most definitely. Your current doctor you trust, how do you find doctors that you trust? Actually, with the group that I'm with now, they have their own group of doctors. Mm-hmm. So I stay with that group and follow along with the referrals that I get usually from my internists. And as a result of doing that, I don't think, I don't think I have had a lot of problems. Oh, good. When I went before, I was not with this group. And the doctor that I was with, unfortunately retired. I liked her a lot, but anyway, she retired. That happens. It meant that I had to change. Do you have any family members or some people who help you make some make your medical decisions? Pretty much doing it on my own. I have <laughs> I have a son who can be very obnoxious at times. And so <laughs> I remember him going with me after they had to remove that first one. And I said, oh Lord, these people are gonna kill me. With what I'm sure he was not happy about that whole thing. He was thing. not, you know, and he would just go off and I'd say to him, please don't upset these folks. If they have to put me to sleep, you don't know whether I'm going to wake up or not. <laughs> but that's what you need. I don't care. I think that outrage is good because they need to know that this is not somebody who you can just do any old thing to. I think, I mean, sometimes it's a balance because you don't want to be so obnoxious that they treat you bad because they're annoyed with you. That's true. And I can remember even when I was in rehab one time, I don't know where they get these people from, but they had given me the wrong medicine. And of course, they bring the little cup of medicine. You just go ahead and take it because you know that's what it is. You don't look at it. But then every time I would get it, I was getting dizzy and that kind of thing. And my darling son came there and it was almost time for me to leave there to come home. And he had asked for a meeting with everyone. And the lady said, oh, God, Uh, well, she'll be going home. Let's say I don't know whether she said Thursday or not. This may have been a Monday. And he said. No, she's going home when I leave today. (laughs) I said, oh, my God. And I guess, you know, I left when he left that day. 
we all need a little bit of Sean. We all- <laughs> you picked it up real good, Brenda. You knew who it was. Um, but it does kind of feel good to have somebody there to who's. Yeah, you do. That's definitely yeah. true. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your knee replacement journey. Was there anything else that you learned from this experience that you would want to share with another Black woman who's having knee pain? Definitely be aware of this medication that they give you because it's all usually opiate. And I know how it affected me and it probably is going to do that to a a lot of other people, you know, Mm -hmm. because... It appears to me they ought to know that this is not something that you can take for long periods of time, but they keep pushing it up. So be careful with the pain medicine because it can cause problems bigger than the problem that you were trying to solve. Yeah, already have. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and there is a lot of information out there. Try to do a little research on some medication right. yourself before mm-hmm. you start taking it because mm-hmm. they don't tell you everything. Yeah. And research on what it is that they that can be done, you know. Uh, because a lot of uh, what I went through I guess if I had done some research on it I may not have gone through a lot of that Mm. well you're in a good place now who or what inspires you to stay healthy (laughs) well I, I guess what I would have to say is I don't wish to spend the rest of my life sitting in a chair. So I have to do what it is that needs to be done from starting with, I had a weight problem one time. So you you think in terms now of what it is that you are going to eat, how you fix your food. So I definitely say that it is no one thing that always causes whatever is bothering you. There are a number of things that's been going on in your life that after you reach a certain age, probably should be before you reach that, but you cannot continue with them. You have to make changes. True. What's that saying that people have sometimes, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to die. Well, I'm going to take that last (laughs) one home. I don't want to die, so I got to do what I have to do to stay here. (laughs) You know what the end goal is. Anything else you want to say before we close out? No, I have enjoyed it. Good talking to you ladies. You too. And good seeing you. You too. We really appreciate it. This is going to be so helpful to so many people. So thank you. I really appreciate your time, Mrs. Taylor. And it was great to see you. And I hope you have a great day. Enjoy your walk. Well, thank you so much. Take you, care. The same to both of you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Love All you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. So, Elaine, what are some of your takeaways from our conversation with Mrs. Taylor? A big one is that we need to remember that doctors are human and can make mistakes. Not to say that they do it often, but it, it is a possibility. So, to guard against that, you know, we really need to ask a lot of questions. We can sometimes get a second opinion, but just keep that in the back of your mind. 
And also before you go to the doctor, maybe doing some upfront research on your own so that you're asking really informed questions, you're aware of potential treatments that you want to discuss with them. And another helpful thing that Mrs. Taylor did is bring her son with her. Having someone with you that you trust can be a, and can be a strong advocate for you just can help you process the information better, remember the questions that you want to ask. Yeah, and that's something you did for me when I had breast cancer, which was really helpful because there were some of those key doctor's appointments where I couldn't even remember some of the things they said, so it was helpful. Yeah, you're in a stressful situation sometimes, so just having that second person um, can be a big, big help. And my final takeaway is something we've been hearing in so many other episodes about sharing with trusted friends what is going on with you because that, of course, gives them the ability to support you, but they might have experienced something similar as Mrs. Taylor's friend did and have suggestions for treatments that you want to consider. Very true. For resources related to today's topic, see the show notes or visit our website, bodywealthsisters.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bodywealthsisters. Please listen next week when we discuss Thriving with ADHD with Krista Bradley. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode inspires you to increase your body wealth. If you like our show, please subscribe and tell a friend. The Body Wealth Podcast shares personal stories to inspire you. It does not constitute medical advice. For that, we encourage you to work with a trusted healthcare provider. We also want to remind you that the views expressed by our guests are their own. This podcast is dedicated to our mother, Jean Fernandez Barbour, who showed us what advocating for yourself really looks like.